What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast, December 18th edition. First of two shows, as we will obviously be here after Roadblock with uh, Alex Pawlowski and Anna Bauert. Today, I'm joined by Showdown Joe. Joe, we had quite a newsworthy week. Like, no, no groundbreaking news or anything, but we got a ton of new fights. We had a good fight card. Conor McGregor is being Conor McGregor. This has been a, a roller coaster week. It's been a fantastic week. It's, there's nothing better than, you know, you think that you wake up on, on Monday morning. It's like, okay, what's this week going to be like? When in reality, it's like, okay, it just keeps going. And, um, you know, how many times do you want to talk about not the name Conor McGregor, but what Conor McGregor does? He's just, he gets it, man. He just some way, somehow is going to stay in the news. Is still going to stay at the top of the MMA bubble. Is going to make headlines. And, you know, no matter what, what he says, it could be a five-minute interview. It could be a 10-minute interview. It could be an appearance here or there. And we're going to talk about it. And, and that that's how you remain someone that continues to take their brand to the next level and just make money. That's what he wants to do. And how many times have you and I said it? This is when you're born. This is when you die. This is when you start your mixed martial arts career. This is when it could potentially end. It's a small window. You need to maximize as much revenue as you can from your brand, and he does it. So uh, love him or hate him, I just love the fact that he's continually out there and we're talking about him. Before we get into Conor McGregor, I think the the week uh, Uriah Faber has retired. We knew it was coming. He mentioned it a couple of months ago. And it was a fantastic performance against Brad Pickett. He did get dropped one time, but man, he put the pain on uh, Uriah, or he put the pain on Brad Pickett. Like you could argue after that, like he dropped Brad Pickett, and it was hard. It was hard. It wasn't like some like off balance shot. Like he completely dropped Brad Pickett. I thought he was going to finish the fight there, Joe. Oh yeah, I thought for sure Big John was going to step in there and stop the fight. I was, I was not going to lie to you, I was surprised Big John didn't. Uh, it seemed, um, for the most part, uh, with the exception of I guess the Mizugaki fight, that that some of those those stoppages were a little later or didn't happen. Um, so I'm kind of surprised. But yeah, Uriah Faber put on a clinical performance uh, last night. Looked absolutely fantastic in front of his home crowd. I liked his, uh, you know, nothing really new in that style. It's just the same old Uriah. It just, he realized that this is it. Time to go out there. Uh, but he didn't go out there swinging. He fought smart. He fought intelligent. Uh, you know, you got to give kudos to Brad with those low calf kicks. I mean, they were, they were working. Uh, if he could just execute them more, maybe set them up more, it could have been a different result. But he was doing absolutely fantastic. But yeah, in that first round, uh, uh, the way he got dropped and the way Uriah went in there for the finish was was fantastic. Vintage Uriah Faber, uh, and he's going to be missed for sure. So let's talk about the legacy of one Uriah Faber. Uh, he's definitely he's not on my Mount Rushmore of MMA or anything like that. Now, if you had a Mount Rushmore of MMA under 155 pounds, probably you'd have McGregor, Aldo, Cruz, Johnson. So that that's kind of hard. He did usher that in, though. Like, like I'll put it like this. I really, really got into MMA. I think it was January of 07. I was familiar with Pride. Uh, my cousin had showed me a Pride like compilation pay-per-view of Rampage slamming people and Mirko Krokop using a finishing move like in pro wrestling. And I saw those two guys come into the UFC, and I was like, okay, I need to watch this. And from that point, that was that was also the month that uh, that uh, Uriah Faber defeated Joe Pearson at WEC twenty five. I have never really known MMA as a as a religious as somebody who's covered it or a religious fan without Uriah Faber. It's going to go on without him, but I don't know that without him. Of course, I watched MMA before that. I, I watched UFC five when I was like 10, 11 years old, but. Uriah Faber has been a staple of MMA, a staple of Zufa or WEC, UFC, a staple of these lighter weight divisions, whether it's the featherweight division, the bantamweight division, uh, all the way back to King of the Cage. How do you think this changes the shaping moving forward of those lighter weight divisions? Because he's been atop of those divisions just one notch below Cruz for years now, or Barrow or whoever the hell holds the title. Yeah, I think you just made me feel older because I remember a time in mixed martial arts when there was no Uriah Faber and, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, being on the uh, on the underground and just seeing, hey, who is this guy from King of the Cage? And, you know, before he, he's moving up there to WC and, and really putting 
that organization on the, on the map with Reed Harris and, and, you know, even Schaller was back there. Schaller was the PR guy. Dave Schaller was the PR guy for the WC. So it, it, there was a time before Uriah Faber and now there's going to be a time Faber where uh, from name or no name to big name to, you know, fighting for titles to being on the ultimate fighter. Uh, I had the luxury and privilege of having him co-host uh, UFC Central with me one time in Sacramento when, um, when TJ fought. I think it was Joe Soto, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we were there in Sacramento, and, and Uriah co-hosted the whole half-hour show with me. Uh, did the whole radio show with me. Uh, seen him across across the pro or across the country, across the continent, numerous times. Just catching up here and there. Uh, he once, you know, there was a time when he would take shots at me, good complimentary shots about our chin that we both share the same type of. Uh, I guess butt chin, you could say. So uh, he called us the butt chin brothers, which is kind of weird, but uh, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, Uriah was always one of those guys. I don't know about the Mount or you know the MMA Mount Rushmore. If he's up there, it could be because based on what he's done as a pioneer and was able to get those lighter weights some respect. Uh, you know, BJ Penn did it a while ago at 155, and then you know with Uriah doing it with below 155 and and, and bringing in. Uh, was one of those guys helping usher the WC uh, roster in to the into the UFC when the purchase was made. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of love for for Uriah Faber, and you know, a lot of stuff he did. People, um, you know, always ask what's what's the defining moment that you have for certain fighters, and I can list dozens upon dozens about Uriah Faber, but there's just one that uh, I've told you this one before. It's just just sort of sums up Uriah Faber uh, was just in that Brian Bowles fight. And there was a perfect camera angle of this guy that I knew or I know uh, uh, just guy, very, very smart, uh, pretty business savvy. Not everything has been successful, uh, but always thought of stuff outside the octagon, very intelligent in my opinion. Uh, but in the cage his this sort of rage just, uh, in the moment for his opponent. And there was a shot, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if, if uh, Brian Bowles was on one knee or two knees against, had his back against the cage, and Uriah coming down with that elbow with just vengeance and had nothing but A, knock him out, split him open, hurt him in that one throw. And that kind of defined me when I looked at Uriah Faber afterwards. I'm like, man, this, this guy's a killer. He, he, he just wants that 15 minutes or 25 minutes in a cage to unleash whatever demons he may or may not have in his head. And that was, that's to me a defining moment for me for Uriah Faber. I'm sure others have many other things. Maybe that um, Mike Thomas Brown fight when he broke both his hands and only could fight with his kicks and elbows. Uh, yeah, lots to discuss about Uriah Faber. But, uh, you know, sad to see him go, but very happy I got to see his career from beginning to end. Faber was a part of this this unique period from 2007 to 2008 especially MMA was much different back then you could look at things now and say well probably all of the best fighters in the world are in the UFC you could really do that I mean a, a couple of rare exceptions but back then in between WEC pride affliction starting up you had Fedor Emelianenko Paulo Filo Miguel Torres and Uriah Faber and there was no clear cut like yeah, it was it was much more difficult. There was a lot more parity in these organizations because the UFC hadn't adopted some of these uh, weight divisions. They hadn't absorbed WEC yet. But there was real talk in like 07, 08 around the Jeff Curran fight. I think the, the Jens Pulver fight. Like is Uriah Faber the best fighter in the world? Is Miguel Torres the best fighter in the world? I heard that conversation a lot. Like which of these two is better? And uh, it's really crazy to see how they're – career paths separated he and Torres especially who helped build the WEC Apollo Philo as well but it, it's it's just crazy because I mean back then you had those people and there was like almost a cult following for these lighter weight divisions like they really helped champion bringing in these weight divisions and he does get that credit and, and I'm very happy that he does uh he was 21 and one at one point yeah that is so right, hard right. to do that is so hard to do. That, I mean, un unbelievable. And keep in mind, guys, he was primarily competing at featherweight at this point. That's crazy. Featherweight. He's a 135-er. He, we, we lost somebody very special from the sport, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what he does. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of talk about you know, the male and the ultimate fitness gym, um, you know, 
staying open, staying not open, or what are they going to do with the fighters? I think it'll still stick around, and all depends on what Uriah wants to do outside of MMA, but uh, he's already hinted at some pretty big business stuff uh, that he's got going on. But um, I don't know if that's if surprise broadcasts or or elsewhere uh, in other organizations. I know he doesn't have anything bad to say about Dana White, uh, Lorenzo, and, and Frank. I don't know what his thoughts are on the new UFC ownership, but uh, I think he'll still stick around in certain ways, especially anything that's going to be happening uh, UFC-wise on the West Coast. So uh, I think he'll still be around. It just depends on what capacity. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was a time he was competing at 145 pounds when he should have always been competing at 135 pounds. But that was a generation in mixed martial arts that a lot of – I know guys that were at 125 that, that, that finished off their careers at 125 uh, that were competing at 155. I mean, there just wasn't the depth in the divisions. I mean, you and I will have this exact same conversation probably about two, three, four years from now talking about women's mixed martial arts, excuse me, uh, and some of the depth in the divisions right now, how, oh, my God, Cyborg, sorry, and some of the competition, and there's no one at 145 pounds. There's going to come a time when we look at some of these divisions and be like, oh, my God, there there used to be no depth, and now there's so much. So uh, it's just the evolution of a sport, I guess. I may be I may be mistaken. I have a good feeling I'm not. Joe, I don't know if you realize this. This makes three people who have competed for UFC titles this year who have retired. Three people uh, in the last half of the year competed for UFC titles and are retired. Uriah Faber, Misha Tate, Dan Henderson. That's that's almost unfathomable. Yeah, it's a it's a generational switch. It's beginning to happen. There's going to be a, uh, I think a lot more. Uh, I think BJ Penn is going to be the next one. We thought he left, but yeah, it's going to be uh, a bunch of guys that are just and girls that are going to start migrating out of the sport and start looking at this new talent coming up. Guys, uh, check out our Matt Riddle podcast. It uh, releases tomorrow to non-members. We also talked to Shane Helms. We had some technical errors with that, but we're working on it. I think Shane's computer is duty. But he talked about total nonstop deletion. That's on Friday. Also, the new episode of Most Ridiculous WWE Moments of the Week with Anna Bauer has uh, released. It's over on Fightful.com. She will be on our post-roadblock show tonight all the way from Australia, if you believe that. Also, uh, check out Fightful.com, all your live coverage uh, of boxing, MMA, wrestling, Register absolutely free on our forums, or on the site, rather, to get access to our forums, to our pro series, which features the likes of Deanna Perrazzo, who you saw on Raw and SmackDown this week, Jason Kincaid, who just signed with WWN Live, uh, Matt Riddle, Showdown Joe, EC3, Shane Helms. We're bringing you the goods at Fightful.com, my friends. And we're award-nominated, so that, that's pretty cool. Uh, share the <laughs> site. Let people know about it. Uh <laughs> Let people know all about Fightful.com. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Reddit, or Facebook groups. All that stuff helps us grow. I want to thank you all so much for, for helping us grow so much in this first half of the year. There's something I wanted to talk about before we jumped into something else, but I can't remember what it was. I'll bring it up later. UFC on Fox 22. Paige Van Zant, Michelle Watterson. Uh, I had speculated maybe the size difference would, would be a factor. As it turns out, the speed difference in Michelle Watterson and Paige Van Zant. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Paige Van Zant and how tough she is. And she really did display that. But Michelle Watterson striking made Paige Van Zant look like an amateur in the cage last night, Joe. It, it actually did, yeah. Um, I'm not really surprised really about that. I think you and I, when we were discussing leading up to this belt, that potentially – uh, Michelle Watterson may be slightly outmatched, and, and boy, were we wrong. Uh, the one thing that I um, – I remember when I interviewed her uh, a few years back uh, after – I don't know if it was when she won the title or if it was when she uh, fought Jessica Pinay or, or something. Something was – I just looked at her fight. I said, my goodness, the dexterity you have uh, in your hips during a scrap is ridiculous. And we saw that last night uh, when she did when – she, when she was able to get pages back and be able to switch – um, you know the triangle grip each, or the triangle grip, the uh, the body lock each time uh, within her hips to switch and to, and to execute and to generate is is something else. And uh, it was on display last night, and and she raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, I think you and I, I'm going to pose this to you now, Sean. You and I had discussed what does a victory mean for one of these two ladies, and I, I made it clear even in my article that you know if Paige wins, she moves much much closer uh, to a potential title shot with uh, Ioana Jacek. 
what about now? What does this mean for Karate Hottie? Her first fight in over a year. I believe she lost her last fight, didn't she, before this? I believe so, yeah. So that just puts her in the top 10, I think. I mean, I would, you know, they throw her in there. No, no, she she beat Magana. She beat Magana. But she, uh, so she's 2-0 in the UFC. So they could throw her in, like, if there's a, a late replacement or something. Uh, if Joanna's got a fight, her opponent falls out, you can always call up Michelle Watterson. She's going to make 115 with ease. But um, I'd have to look at the rankings. But there are good matchups with, like, Joanne Calderwood. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Joanne, I think, is coming off of a loss, though. Hard to tell. Um, and, I mean, that the, the win over Angela Magana, let's be real, they expected her to beat Angela Magana. I mean, I think they expect everybody to beat Angela Magana, no disrespect to Angela, but uh, they just kind of expect that. Uh, but <clears throat> Rose Namajunas, not Jessica Andrade. She'll probably get the next shot. Tisha Torres. Uh, Joanne Calderwood, Carla Esparza. Those are all good fights for her, I think. What is going on with Carla Esparza? Like, I mean, it's just confusing. It is just, I don't understand. I heard she's turning well, down she, fights she's left, right, center. a layoff. And I'm, I'm, you know, the way that she came off on the Ultimate Fighter, she came off as a child. Like, it was real bad. She came off horribly. She didn't do herself any favors. Took a year off between Joanna Janjacek and Juliana Lima. And uh, she fought in April 2016. Now, after another eight-month layoff, she's trying to pick and choose who she wants to fight. She doesn't want to fight Gedalia. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, here's my thing. I don't want to say that fighters are entitled and, like, they, they deserve to be paid more. They should. They do not deserve to pick and choose who they get to fight if if you do not bring – anything substantial to the table. She's not, I hate to say that, like do the old Nate Diaz thing. She's not necessarily a needle mover per se. So, I mean, I don't know if she's in the position to be saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to face that woman who almost won the the title twice, or not the title twice, but almost beat the best woman in the world twice. It's really weird to me. I don't, I don't get that. I don't I think I think it. she's at a point now where, I, yeah, I, I'm hearing that, you know, she's not accepting a lot of these fights. Um, I've, I've seen this before when people, after their careers are done, uh, full of regret, coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I, I'm almost feeling like Carter Spars is in that position right now. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, because as you get older, you don't get better. Uh, this is the time now to figure it out and get back in there. Uh, and you want to be, quote, unquote, a needle mover, you got to fight. You got to make headlines. You got to do things, and 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 selling certain things on on eBay or on um, on Craigslist isn't a way to make noise. I, I understand there's financial issues, but there's other ways of doing it. And I think she just has to compete. She's just got to get in there. Uh, go back to what she was before. Uh, just train hard, uh, become a dominant force, and and take it from there. How often do we hear Sarah McMahon, Sarah Kaufman, Kat Zingano brought up in like the title talk anymore these days? We don't. They never fight. They never fight. If she's in that position, she's got to fight. It's just the way it is. Uh, am I wrong for wanting to watch Mickey Gall and Sage Northcutt fight 100 times? <laughs> uh, no. Wasn't no, that so much fun? Wasn't that was, a blast? Well, we saw a different side of Sage Northcutt. Like, who was that guy going in there and well, trash talking? So that was fun. Let's talk about that. What do you think he said? Because I wrote down a list of them on the Fightful.com Twitter, uh, at Fightful Online. Here, here were some of my picks. I hope your mom buys you whole milk when you actually ask for 2%. Ah! <laughs> when you get out of the shower, I hope you step in water after you put on socks and you have to get new ones. I hope you buy someone gift cards for Christmas and there's an error and they aren't activated. When you go to Blockbuster and rent The Truth About Charlie, I hope you get they give you the horrible remake instead of the original. <laughs> when you have a child, I hope she fails her driver's test by one point on a technicality and has confidence issues. <laughs> I hope you run out of gas right before you get to the gas station and you have to go through the inconvenience of a gas can. Nobody ever pays me in Trident layers. What else we got here? LOL, I bet you can't even afford organic veggies. Ah, 
Oh, yeah. My personal favorite. When you go to the grocery store, I hope all of the, the coupons you bring are expired and you have to go to the inconvenience of putting all of your groceries back up. Sage Northcutt trash talk. My favorite thing in the world, Joe. What do you think he said in there? He hates so much. Um, I mean, I'm not the greatest, I guess, lip reader, but I think there was at one point he was – sorry, I'm laughing at some of the stuff you said. Um, I think at one point, uh, if I can remain serious just for one second, I think at one point when he was – when they were going back and forth, I think he was, he was telling him, it's coming. It's coming. You're going to get knocked out. It's coming. And he's smiling at him. So – uh, I just liked it. I mean, I've, I've never been a Sage Northcutt hater. I've always been one of those guys. Just just because he looks a certain way uh, and the UFC is promoting him, hey, man, I, I know what it's like to have a lot of eyeballs on you and a lot of people uh, you know, talking trash about you. So I kind of do empathize and sympathize with a guy like that, but I have no problem with him. And well, I've got a problem with his, his ground game. I think he's got to improve that very, very quickly. But uh, I kind of like that, that, that guy that showed up last night and continued to just try and get in Mickey Gall's face until he got dropped and choked out. So, For the record, Mickey Gall said that what Sage said to him, like Mickey Gall was saying, oh, you're looking tired, and Sage goes, I never get tired. And then he punched him <laughs> one time, and I guess, I guess Sage said, ooh, that was a good one. <laughs> that surprised me at all. That doesn't surprise this me. Fight played out, this fight played out exactly how we thought it would until Mickey Gall clipped Sage Northcutt. Uh, Sage was pretty dominant on the feet. Uh, he made Mickey Gall look about as experienced as he is on the feet. And Mickey Gall made Sage Northcutt look really, really bad on the ground. However, uh, Sage Northcutt was able to clip uh, – or Mickey Gall was able to clip Sage Northcutt, drop him, and Northcutt went into wrestler mode. He went into the, the third yep. place in the state of Texas uh, high school wrestling mode there and shot. And I was like, oh, that's it. When you see Sage Northcutt shooting on Mickey Gall, you, you, you get the shades of Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz there. And you know it's not going to end well, and it ended almost exactly like that. Yeah, true. Very true. I mean, uh, it, I guess it's one of those things when you're dazed and confused and you're already, you know, your posture is a little bit lower than normal and the guy's coming at you, you do want to go for that takedown, but it's hard to realize that that's not the right person you want to take down on the ground considering the matchup and the skills that Mickey Gall uh, does bring to the table in that bout. Um, so, there by Sage Northcutt, live and learn. He's still young, uh, has tons of potential behind him, but good on Mickey Gall. I mean, he calls out Dan Hardy afterwards. Uh, you know, was it Alan Joban that then called out Mickey Gall? He wanted the winner, Mickey Gall, and, and Sage Northcutt. So, yeah, and yeah these guys are starting make- out too. Valhalla called uh, Mickey Gall out as well. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. So, it's, 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 there, right? That's how you make a name, man. Good job. All I need is that one fight with CM Punk. Next fight, Sage Northcutt. If you can take out Dan Hardy or whomever, you know he's he's continuing to make a name. He's making noise, and that's all you got to do. So, uh, you know, good on Mickey Gall. Uh, I, I said from the beginning of this fight, and it's definitely not a I, I told you so moment for me. I just looked at this matchup and realized that Sage better win this fight early, standing up, because if Mickey Gall gets this thing down on the ground, it is not going to be pretty. For Sage Northcutt, I mean, this is one of those events. I know I write those articles, the the fun bets articles, where you know I go on a run of three or four that I look absolutely fantastic, and then I go on one where I'm like, ah, maybe I shouldn't have submitted that one to Sean Ross Sapp to post on the site. It happens. It's the law of averages. It's it's the medium finally coming out. Uh, but I'm happy to say that I'm a little bit higher than uh, than I thought I would be. But it's where it's like, ah, thankfully you didn't put any money on that. I'm not going to trash Sage Northcutt here. I'll just say, to CM Punk's credit, he knew how to defend a rear naked choke a little bit better. He knew to peel the arm. I can give him that credit. Uh, I would watch these two fight a billion times. I was supremely entertained by this fight. Mike Perry tasted his first defeat in in UFC as Alan Juban, or he pretty much, I don't want to say dominated, but he... Controlled the fight. He walked up to the schoolyard bully and punched him right in the nose, Joe. Sorry, you're cutting out on me, but I'm pretty sure you're talking about the Mike Perry, uh, Joe Ben fight and the whole situation where I, I was looking at it. You tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, Perry could not figure out Joe Ben watching this fight, and I didn't see anything in Joe Ben that showed a difference in timing other than uh, being aggressive, timing his shots or timing his strikes, getting out of angles. And Perry just could not figure it out. And every time he tried, uh, Joubin was there with a body kick. Joubin was there with some sort of combination. 
and Mike just basically could not, wasn't able to get off until the end finally came. So, um, yeah, Taysha's first defeat, and Joban did what he had to do. Uh, bully the bully, I guess. Push him back, push him back, punish him. Or uh, if you have to count with ankle bow, it's a lot of, and they always say, look, you can't always go for the knockout three and you just keep chopping and chopping and chopping eventually you're going to hit the right angle with the right chop and you're going to start seeing that tree doing this and then when you if you can capitalize on that uh it may not happen in the first five it may not happen in the first 10 but it could happen within 15 minutes and i think that's what joban was basically doing just keep chopping away chopping away and if it presents itself you go in there for the finish yeah i don't think mike perry's going anywhere so uh him losing to a guy as experienced as Alan Jabon isn't isn't bad. Like he came into the UFC like a wrecking ball, winning th- or fighting three times in the last half of the year. So, hey, he plays the villain role very well. He embraces it. He's made some money this last half of the year, and now maybe he can kind of breathe and, and reassess things. Now, the the prelim card, I, I want to say, wasn't phenomenal. But we had some interesting fights on there. Colby Covington defeated Brian Barberina. Uh, Leslie Smith defeating Irene Aldana. I didn't see that coming. Eddie Wineland defeating Takeya Mizugaki. Now, the most interesting situation on this show is we've probably seen the end of Cole Miller in the UFC. He has not won his last four fights. He is making a fuss. Now, here's what I hope doesn't happen. Cole Miller has been around in the UFC for, for nine years. And... He's going to get some booking somewhere. I hope he's not one of those guys that tries to rally against the UFC because he gets fired. He shouldn't be in the UFC right now. He hasn't won his last four fights. He hasn't won in three years. So you get kicked out of the UFC based on that. I hope he doesn't say the reason that I'm getting cut is because I made a fuss. The fuss was completely called for. Definitely called for. But that ain't why he's getting fired. He's getting fired because he lost a bunch of fights. Yeah, I, I totally agree, hundred percent. I mean, in watching that fight, it was I, I was I just recall kept taking deep breaths myself and thinking, okay, like what's going on here, dude? Like you, you should be easily, you should be able to get out of here. You should be able to sweep this guy. You should be able to uh, do a lot more than what you're doing. I mean, he was just just controlled, just dominated, and, and was expecting more. Did great in the first few minutes of the fight, and then wasn't able to do much. It was almost like. He didn't real. He did understand that you know if he just on defense and didn't accept really getting taken down on the ground because he could, I think he could have fought off those takedowns takedowns a lot more and and I think you get that a lot with with jujitsu guys that are really really um, they really believe in their jujitsu game. It's like yeah, I don't have to take I don't have to defend this takedown fully. We go down on the ground. I'm going to submit this guy. But he got controlled, and I just thought perhaps that if he took his takedowns take seriously and really defended that, he had reach. He could have did a little bit more uh, in the stand-up realm in this fight. But I just, you know, and then I'm watching, and I'm like, Cole, like, what's going on here? This just, you know, it's just father time catching up. That's it. And it's not like he's he was, you know, there there wasn't a massive age gap here at all, like zero, like. Come on, dude. And I was just, all right, well, this is it. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, Sean Ross App's going to rip him some way, somehow on the podcast. This is just not going to happen. This is just the end of your career. You know, Sean Ross well, Sapp basically the predicted. End, not the end, end of your career, sorry, the end of your time in the UFC. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's the end of his UFC career. He's going to get bookings, and I, I think he'll probably do well outside of the UFC. Well, it depends on where his motivation is at. He didn't seem motivated at all in this fight. Um, yeah, I think he'll probably yeah, you're right. He'll, he'll probably get booked by World Series of Fighting and Bellator. He'll move back up to lightweight, and he'll I think he'll probably do pretty decent. I think he'll at least be a 500 fighter there, at the very least. Um, it's, you know, hey, he's 32 years old, and a lot of people look at that and say, well, he's just 32. Well, he's been in the UFC for nine years. Nine years. And there was a point where he was like six and two in the UFC. Uh, I remember when he... he Choked out Junie Browning, uh, I, and that was that was a pretty neat moment. He had like three or four f- uh, finish bonuses over the course of like two and a half years. Like he was somebody that you had to watch for the last three years. Really, okay, for the last four years, I don't think he's been somebody that you have to watch. And unfortunately, that 
that affects him. And, and maybe it affects him mentally. I don't know. I'm not him. But it reflects in the cage. But I, I hope for his sake something like people especially like him who have given their bodies to the UFC, he has a right to be upset about that Philippines cancellation. Uh, and the way that the company handled that, completely unprofessional. This is he is the perfect example of why fighters need pension and health care. Yeah. Totally agree. From the UFC especially. Because he doesn't need to be fighting until he's 38, 39. And he might be doing it. I don't know. And you know what? If there is an injury, well, no, you can't do that. I was gonna say if there's an injury and they need a last minute replacement, I wouldn't be shocked to see him come back. But that leads into another situation we'll talk about, the Angela Hill situation. Because she got fired from the UFC last year. She was in the USADA testing pool. Now, I had an argument with somebody who didn't understand this. They said, well, why does, you, why does Angela Hill have to go through the four-month wait, but Brock Lesnar didn't? Brock Lesnar was under a UFC contract, but that's before USADA. He could not be held to the standard in which these people who signed a contract stating it were. Angela Hill is an example. Um, ben Saunders is an example. They both signed a deal saying, yes, we are subject to this, and if we exit the pool, whether it be by firing or retiring, we will do the four-month wait. Now, Angela Hill has to wait four more months to fight. She was supposed to fight this month. So as I was saying, Cole Miller could be a last-minute replacement. He really can't. He'll have to wait four months. So it'll be a tough road back to the UFC for him. Joe, I want to know what you think about this four-month wait for people who were fired by the UFC. I don't I don't like it. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I, unless it's... There's something scientific behind it, Sean. Um, you know, it's bottom line is this: if if you want to fight, get tested right away, and you'll catch them. If they're cheating, you're going to catch them right away. If it's time for them to fight, I mean, the whole thing you saw shows up. Um, you know, it's unannounced. You just you have to tell them where you are at all times. So if you sign a fight or you're going to sign to compete in the UFC, you automatically enter the pool and USADA has the right to come and see you right away within a week, within two weeks, at any one point in time, and boom, go, right? So I, 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 don't, I don't get that. If, if the whole point is to catch people um, you know, that are on performance-enhancing drugs or, or taking things that they shouldn't be taking, get them right away. Like, what do you, what's the I, – I'm, 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 I'm sorry. I'm missing the logic between, between the four-month thing. If a fighter retires, hey, I'm cool with them doing the four-month thing. If the fighter is out of the UFC of their own volition, I'm also in support of the four-month rule. However, if it's like Angela Hill, where like, like Ben Saunders, when he just decided he didn't want to fight anymore, you got to wait the four months, Ben, sorry. Angela Hill was fired by the UFC. She was fired. She was cut. And then she continued to fight for Invicta. I think if they want to bring her back, that's fine. Uh, Brock Lesnar, hey, I agree with that too. I don't think you should be drug testing someone for four months when uh, they didn't agree contractually to the deal. That's why like Brendan Schaub has went on record saying, listen, I had to sign paperwork confirming I was retired or else USADA was going to come test me all the time. So yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting scenario here. Also, we have Conor McGregor. <laughs> Apparently, he could fight sooner than expected, and he did confirm the wrestling guys, meaning WWE, have been contacting him. No shocker there. Now, he said in an interview yesterday that he expected his baby to be born in March. It's looking like May, and if you know Conor McGregor, May? Five months? I think I can fit one in there. I think I can squeeze one in. That's Conor McGregor for you. you got to love his work ethic, Joe. But no, it's, it's worth saying. It's worth saying. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. He didn't say he would fight. He said, "Give me till after Christmas. The new owners can fly to see me, and we'll talk about it." I thought that he, because hey, the UFC's 2017 went from overcast in the forecast to maybe bright and sunny if Conor McGregor can fight two times that year. That's a big thing. Um, I don't think uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, I don't know if, if Connor makes that call. I think the missus makes that call because if the missus doesn't want to be stressed, Connor's probably going to keep his mouth shut. He may go out there and say certain things, but you don't mess with the missus when the missus is carrying your child. You better be on your best behavior because you may be a two-time UC world champion, but you will never win the fight versus the missus. 
Hate to break it to you, Connor. I was like over this interview, I was like, this guy gets it. He understands. He he is so good at just maximizing the the amount of attention on him even in a break. Hey, he's taking a break. Ten months. He's like, I didn't say ten months. Dana White said ten months. Maybe I fight after Christmas. Then they're like, well, Floyd Mayweather said this. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Floyd Mayweather's last pay-per-view did 350,000 buys. I have the leverage. <laughs> it's right. true. Yep. It's true. Why do you – Floyd Mayweather comes off looking very bad in this situation, in this whole thing. He admitted to starting the rumor, Joe. You never do that. You don't do that. He said, well, the rumors happened because I started the rumors. Well, that shows everybody who who cares to listen that you need Conor McGregor, not the other way around. So now, when Conor McGregor says, "Fight me in MMA in an MMA fight, or give me one hundred million dollars," sorry, you're going to have to do one of those two things. I also don't buy that Floyd Mayweather went to Dana White because I think that Dana White probably would have let that bit of information go by now. Um. Man, and Connor did the smart thing. He went and got the boxing license in California to keep the UFC on their toes. Man, this guy, a year ago, or less than a year ago, in March, people were like, uh-oh, Connor McGregor lost. What is next for him? Now people are like, uh-oh, what's next for him? Yeah, that's just the way to mix martial arts, right? It's, it's so, you know, the recency bias in mixed martial arts is unbelievable. People cannot look backwards. They can't look. They're too busy being in the present and slightly in the present without thinking long term. Things happen. People lose. People win. People, you know, situations can change uh, in the blink of an eye. There's no perfect forecasting or prediction of anyone's career. And when you're talking about guys at the top of the food chain like Conor McGregor, anything can happen. And, you know, Nate Diaz was a a crazy bump in the road. It was a lesson learned for him. Um, Look at him. Tate comes back, uh, arguably defeats Nate Diaz in that rematch, uh, and then goes out and takes out Eddie Alvarez and and gets his. Like I mean, the guy, the guy's insane. The guy just gets it. He understands it. He totally knows what to do. And things things just change. I mean, Conor McGregor might be a different person once his child is born, right? I doubt it, right? He might be even more motivated, which would be scarier uh, for a lot of fighters. But this is a guy now that has, as long as he has the right people. I know some of the people around him, but as long as he has the right people around him to take care of his finances. This guy's going to be fine. I've seen too many guys make a lot of money. Uh, a lot of Canadians make a lot of money that are, you know, financially in trouble because they didn't make the right decisions financially. Joe, I have to say that this last week was one of the busiest fight announcement weeks I've seen in UFC history, and there were no big blockbuster fights, so it kind of went under the radar. But uh, hot damn, they know that they got to bring loaded cards to the first quarter of 2017, and they're doing that. And I, I got to say it. Uh, Hats off to the UFC for this. We're going to talk about some of these. Derek Lewis against Travis Brown. This is a top 10 heavyweight fight. UFC 208 from the Barclays Center. Hey, that's pretty damn good. Then they go and they add Dustin Poirier, Jim Miller. What a scrap. Um, Nick Lentz against Islam Makachev. Wilson Hayes, Oka Sasaki. Now, Wilson Hayes... I thought, you know, might be in line for a title shot after uh, Demetrius Johnson won. Uh, all those added to UFC 208. Uh, your, your thoughts on some of those? Uh, a lot of questions are going to be answered, uh, especially regarding Travis Brown and Derek Lewis um, and, and Poirier. You know, what's going on with Poirier now, right? Like, I mean, he comes off that, that stunning loss to Michael Johnson, and he's fighting a, a veteran in, in Jim Miller. Um Better use that range, son, because if Jim Miller gets a hold of you, uh, not that your ground game is bad, but Jim Miller has a way of, of neutralizing people and taking this thing into a blue-collar work ethic, five-round or three-round, 15-minute war. Uh, I don't think Poirier wants to get involved with that with Jim Miller. I think he wants to finish him off quick. Uh, we're going to get a lot of questions answered about Derek Lewis uh, and where Travis Brown is truly at. Like, is he still uh, a top 10 guy, a real top 10 guy, or is Derek Lewis finally getting the guy that he deserves? Uh, and let's see what he does. And we, we all know how upset he was with his last performance. I'm sure he's going to come on this performance and, uh, and do something different. So, I love the Poirier-Jim Miller fight. I love that fight. Hell of a hell of match. I wonder who's, who's matchmaking that right now. Is it still Joe Silva? Well, 
It wouldn't be does Joe Silva book one fifty five? Yes or no? Him and Sean would basically fluctuate with that, to my understanding. Okay, that's just good. Good booking. Good booking. Um, Tisha Torres versus Beck Rawlings at UFC Fight Night one hundred four. Uh, that's a solid booking as well. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, Andre Arlovsky against Francis Ngannou at uh, UFC Fight Night Denver, or uh, this UFC on Fox Denver card. This UFC on Fox show, I just want to hug it. I want to nurture it. I want to rock it back and forth like a little baby. <laughs> this UFC on Fox 23 show could go down as the most exciting UFC on Fox show ever. You got Francis Ngannou and uh, Andre Arlovsky, and Arlovsky is, could be his last hurrah in the company. And it's a great litmus test for, for Ngannou. You got Juliana Pena, Valentina Shevchenko, which we knew about headlining. You got Donald Cerrone and Maz Vidal. Oh, man. Hose me down. <laughs> it's a stellar card i absolutely love it i'm actually looking at it here uh right now it, it, it's gonna be um yeah and even us and sal aljamain sterling i mean i love that fight hector lombard's back against brad tavares yes. uh, i don't think that one's gonna go 15 minutes uh nate marquardt sam alvey i mean we got some pretty yeah. good scraps on this card you want to be you want to nurture it i'm with you man uh let's make sure this one gets to bed and they're not early. even done yeah they're not even done <laughs> Yeah, but this um, you mentioned to me a couple days ago about Ngannou versus Arlovsky. Uh, I don't like this for Arlovsky one bit. I mean, not that he's got that; he still has it in him. But Ngannou is something else, man. This is this is the name that he's been waiting for, uh, or that he maybe he's not that he's been waiting for. It's finally the opportunity that's going to showcase a lot about Ngannou. Is he ready? Is he not ready? Because this guy's an absolute beast and an absolute monster. They booked Junior Dos Santos and Stefan Struve at UFC Fight Night 105 in February. Now, like, I don't know if they're mad at Struve or what's going on here. I don't understand the point of booking this fight again. I like Stefan Struve. In my opinion, I, when, when, uh, but, uh, you know, I, he's going to beat some people. He's going to lose some people. I thought he should have been the guy that uh, the UFC booked against Brock Lesnar. Because if he wins, then you got, a big, big, big win for Struve. And the WWE could spin that and say, Brock Lesnar lost to a seven-foot monster. And conversely, you could say, he beat a seven-foot monster. You could give it the old WWE spin. He's facing a guy that just beat the crap out of him several years ago. And the progression between the two has given me no reason to believe this fight will play out any different, Joe. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, for Struve fans, uh, I'm agreeing with Sean Rossap. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. But you know, Struve has always been one of those fighters that we keep looking at and be like, is he, is he not? Is this the Struve that we've been waiting for? Oh, there he is again. Um, so, yeah, it remains to be seen. It's just, it's, I know Faraz Zahabi took me, uh, you know, told me a long time ago, it's much, much harder for, for um, a human being or a fighter in general to jab down uh, than it is straight or up. Uh, you're, you're generally used to fighting people that are your height or, or taller. Uh, in Struve's case, um, it's much difficult for a human to jab down, but that's all he's ever known. So you figure that that's just something that he should be able to to use. And it's also difficult for a guy that size to have to be nimble with his footwork. But he he does have it, right? But against Junior DeSantos, who doesn't care where you are, uh, he's going to be more than happy to stand and bang with you, whether it's from distance or within a phone booth. So. Struve's going to have some uh, some challenges here. If anything, Sean, maybe Struve will do what he needs to do uh, to get this fight down on the ground and end up at top position uh, and just work it for five rounds in that manner because if he can't do it, I know Junior's got a pretty good ground game. It's going to be a long night for Stefan Struve. Also on the show, or not on that show, but uh, booked for UFC Fight Night 107, Vitor Belfort, Kelvin Gastelum. UFC said, nah, you're not moving back to, to 170, guy. Uh, like, if I'm Gastelum and I, I'm offered that fight, I'm like, LOL, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> That's a good name. Definitely a good name for him. We'll see how he, uh, how he handles it. He's just got to be careful because, you know, Vitor's speed isn't what it was. Uh, his power isn't what it was, but he does have the ability uh, to tee off. I just don't think his reaction time, uh, and I think the pace that Gastelum's going to set is going to be uh, problems for Vitor. 
couple of interesting notes about the rankings. That's what I need to have you do this week since there's no card. I need to have you examine the rankings when they come out. Jake Ellenberger last week, after breaking his foot off in a cage, somehow jumped into the top 15. Uh, <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum removed from the welterweight top 10 or top 15. He he made the middleweight top 10. I'm, I, I kind of agree with that. I think that he probably is a top 10 middleweight fighter in the UFC. Uh, Misha Serkinov now ranked number eight in the light heavyweight division. Personally, I'd put him up as high as number six, but I understand he has to show a little bit more. Nganu did not crack the top 10. Derek Lewis moved up to number nine. So that, that's an interesting look at things. Uh, Letourneau fell to number 13. Uh, uh, Alexis Davis showed back up in the rankings after she took some time off. Also, they have started women's featherweight rankings that have no names in them thus far. <laughs> also, on that, that uh, Brazil show, Benil Dariush, Edson Barboza. That's a good fight. That's going to be a fun little scrap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me find something, Joe. This. But, oh, wait. Little Birdie told me. Might be looking at uh, Nick Diaz, first quarter 2017, UFC. Maybe Vegas, March. That's what I'm hearing, Joe. What do you think about that? Bring it. Bring it. Anytime Nick Diaz can do anything in mixed martial arts while we still have him, uh, get her done. Because, listen, I'm telling you right now, a lot of us in, in, in the you know mixed martial arts media are not really truly – appreciating Nick Diaz uh, because every time he's in a fight or is going to fight, the, the headlines are, are, are massive. Anything this guy does, I mean, look at the ovation he got yesterday when they showed him on the screen. And, he, and the fact that they, they, they showed him means he's coming back real soon. So uh, yeah, anything Nick Diaz related, absolutely. And, and if it has to be against George St. Pierre again, get her done. I don't care. Let's go. Now, Joe, I want to take the time to apologize to someone personally. Edmund Taverdian. Jeez, oh, here we go. Because I saw something that made me change my opinion on him. Joe, I wanted you to take a look at this fantastic technical ability in which Ronda Rousey is showcasing in this preview clip. Look at this jab. Oh, look at that. We call that the elbow dislocator. I think she was listening to that song, Look at a Flick at a Wrist, on repeat. I like Ronda Rousey. I think that she is thumbs up, thumbs up. Whoever told her that was a good idea, fire him. And I got a good feeling <laughs> I know who that person was. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you on this one. When you say, I think you sent me that what Wednesday or Thursday. Look at the flick at her wrist. Look at the flick at her wrist. That's how I feel. It does make sense to me. I mean, she lands that her elbow is going to just disintegrate. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to throw it that way. And I know there's boxing purists out there that may or may not disagree, or what. It just doesn't look right. I I was never taught to throw it that way. Uh, I was taught always to keep it linear. Uh, We used to we used to practice our jabs against the wall where you you would line up with elbow could never flare out. Right, because if it flares out, you're going to hit the wall. So it was always straight. Uh, and Jeff Jawson was one of the best ones that would drill us on it. Uh, Jeff Jawson, former UFC uh, uh, welterweight, uh, but he would say same thing with your cross and your and your uh, your jab. Stand against the wall, so when you're doing it, your elbow doesn't ever pop out. Right, uh, Sean Tompkins, uh, you know, rest his soul. Uh, yeah. He would he would have us turn the wrist, or sorry, turn the shoulder uh, at imp- just before impact, but never overextend the elbow where the elbow ends up higher than the top of the wrist. So, And that's what we're seeing in that Ronda Rousey clip. But I'm agreeing with Sean Rossap. That's all I can say. If I'm Amanda Nunes, I, I come at Ronda Rousey like a bat out of hell, but keep my distance. You don't get into clinch range. Yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, you man. walk her down. You walk her down at arm's length. You throw punches. You mix in an uppercut. Because Ronda Rousey wings and wings and wings, it's it's almost eerily similar to a a less successful like Vanderlei Silva. Like I don't want to compare Ronda Rousey striking Vanderlei Silva, but when 
when Vanderlei got into panic mode a lot of times, he's just going, ah. Uppercut takes care of that. Um, especially an Amanda Nunes uppercut. Yeah, I, I would think that that would help get the job done. Guys, we are back tonight after Roadblock. Uh, we've got tons of stuff coming this week, even though it's Christmas week. All throughout, uh, you know, a lot of sites are going to be dead from Wednesday to Sunday. We're not. We're going to uh, have all kinds of new features. We're going to republish some of our favorite stuff from earlier in the year that you all may have missed. Things like uh, things like Alex covering Kelly Kelly of WWE fame speaking to her dead ex-boyfriend through a Hollywood medium. That's a good one. Have you ever spoken to a medium, Joe, or a psychic? Uh, in my younger days, yeah. I, I, um, I don't, I don't really believe in them anymore, so yeah. How'd that go? Uh, I, it was something I believed in back then, and then I realized, or I kind of, oh, I'm going to watch my words here. Uh, let's just say I don't believe Was it Miss Cleo? No, no, no. It was, uh, there was actually a psychic fair uh, that happened a lot here in Toronto, and I was heavily into it. I went down to it and, and just got fished in, and yeah, this is cool. Oh, my God. Uh, How ironic no. that psychics would participate in something called a fair. Yeah. Because there's right. nothing fair about what they do. Uh, Alex has a piece coming up soon about Ric Flair that you guys are going to want to see. You guys are going to want to see it. Uh, it's just crazy. As always, guys, check out Anna Bowert's most ridiculous segment on uh, Fightful.com. If you all aren't watching this, you all are really missing out. That is great stuff. Uh, if you're going to be at the Royal Rumble next month, let me know. I will also be there. I won't be manning the ship. The website may explode, Joe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work out. Do we have? I need to find out if we have a UFC event that weekend because that would be a neat uh, situation to be in. Let me look at the schedule here. UFC events. You can, of course, go to uh, Fightful.com and check out all of these UFC events. Yeah, that's the UFC on. Well, maybe. Let me let me see. I think it may be the next weekend. What date is Sorry it? Sorry to keep you guys waiting. It's the Royal Rumble is January 29th. So yeah, that UFC on Fox Denver show is the same night as UFC or the the NXT show. So oh man, I've got some some interesting stuff to approach there because I won't even be able to watch that show that night. So uh, Joe, we may have to have you on with a guest host that night. It's gonna be interesting. Could get real ugly. Uh, yeah, I, I might be uh, <laughs> might be doing Titan FC forty three. You're coming back that evening, so. Ooh. Hey, yeah. you know what? We could probably get that. We'll, we'll figure out something. Yeah, we'll we figure will. out something. No one needs to be concerned. Either way, guys. I may bring in a guest. Who knows? Who knows? Until next time, guys. Uh, of course. Leave us a thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe to us. Visit Fightful.com. Follow at Fightful online. Follow at Showdown Joe. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, all that cool stuff. Uh, We are back tonight after Roadblock, guys. See you later.